today. So good to worship uh, the Lord together. And again, to all of our first-time guests who are here. Maybe you've been coming for some time. We're so glad that you're here today. Hope you'll avail yourself to all the opportunities uh, to get to know what's happening here. I'll be in the narthex after the service. I'd love to meet you personally. And uh, would love to encourage you along with the rest of us here. Hey, several years ago, I had the opportunity to climb Long's Peak with a group of friends. Long's Peak is known to be one of the hardest 14ers in the United States. Now, I've been impressed with myself. I've done it a couple times until I had lunch recently with a friend, and his goal is to climb all the 14ers in the United States. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm out. I haven't done that. We'll never do that. Um, but uh, Long's Peak is just seven, uh, well, about, I don't know, seven, ten miles out of uh, Estes Park, Colorado, if you know that area up Highway 7. And the trailhead is about 9,000 feet or so. And after about a 5,000-foot climb, uh, you find yourself at the summit. Now, you leave about 2 in the morning, so you don't get a lot of sleep. If you sleep at all, you leave at least that early because you don't want to get up to the summit at 9 or 10 o'clock uh, where bad weather could come in. You're totally exposed at that point. Uh, you don't want to be up there if some bad weather comes. So what some people do, they'll actually make a two-day trek, and they'll go up to really what's the base camp. There's a boulder field, and there's this what's called the keyhole before you go into kind of the ledges and up, the, up to the summit. Uh, you know that a base camp is, of course, that place where you go in order to then be launched from there. Uh, now, that's not where you're heading. You're heading to the summit if you're going to climb a peak, but you want to get there. Some people want to acclimate uh, to, the, to the altitude because uh, you can get sick. You can't train for that. It just happens, and you can't press on. You can't even go further. You just want to stop and quit. And that happened even in our group. Now, if you're climbing Everest, you might know that the base camp there is 17,000 feet. So that'd be quite a feat in itself on your way to 29,000 feet. Now, this is nothing like that. But climbing the longs, you, you do well to stop at the base camp for a while. We got there early. The sun was rising. People were coming out of tents, getting ready to head up to the summit. And what happened, even in our group, were some who said, I, I can't go further. People were getting sick or they're just kind of freaked out by the heights and some of the ledges as you start to realize what takes place now to get to the summit. But the base camp, you know this, that's not where you're heading. Base camp is really uh, provides an opportunity, a decision, a place from which you go, right? You might get there and say, I, I'm, I'm out. I'm not going further. You turn back around and never make it to the top. You don't see the views that you intended to see and maybe all that you were you know, focused on and trained for and prepared for. And what I want to talk about today, we've been asking the question, what's next? As we talk about you know, post-Easter, the resurrection and all that Christ has done for us, we'll, we'll kind of, so what? What's next? And how does the resurrection truly impact my daily life. Last week we said, well, what's next? We said, well, Monday. That's what's next. Monday. And so we talked about what does that look like to go into just everyday life? Today I want to talk about opportunity. Opportunity. The opportunity that we have every single day of our lives. You and I have been put in a new position, a kind of base camp, as it were. We've been placed in a position to make a decision as you're going to see today, in this newfound freedom that we have in Christ. I want you to turn to the book of Galatians. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions here, but you can turn to Galatians. We're going to ultimately end up at chapter 5 and 6. But I want to challenge you, as you're turning there, I want you to think with me. 
we all know that, that it is more blessed to give than receive, right? That's what our Savior taught us. And even if you're not a Christian, most people kind of have this sense, you know, it really feels good to help other people. Uh, a self, selfish life, a self-focused life, most people know philosophy, uh, you know, teaching, sociology, psychology would tell us that a self-focused life is ultimately a miserable life. There's no way to live. A self-focused life actually leads to a self-destructive life is what the scriptures would teach us and experience tells us that but all of us know what it is to step out of ourselves and serve someone else and then really feel good about that but that's not even the end game a couple of questions i want to ask here before we get started do you feel like your life is so full that it is hard to see an opportunity to serve christ now, for many of us, sure enough, you're on the run. Maybe you're raising kids, still kids in home. And you, you're like, man, I want to serve others, but I'm just constantly busy. Or maybe you're in a season of work, and you just, man, you get up, you go to work, you're killing it, you get home, and you go to sleep, and you do it all over again. And maybe you look, you know, as a believer, if you're a Christian, you know, I'm, I'm seeking to serve. I'm serving my family. I'm serving my kids. I'm ser trying to serve, be a good friend. Be a good employee or serve those who work with me. But here's another question. How can we seize the opportunities that God has given us to serve? Now, I'm not going to presume that we all came asking that question today. I mean, frankly, maybe a lot of us are not really asking, how can I serve other people? A lot of us, we might just be thinking, man, how can people serve me? I mean, I'm kind of in a tough season right now. I need people to serve me. I need my spouse to serve me a little bit more wish my kids would serve me. That'd be a good thing. You know, and so we often find ourselves, I mean, let's be honest, God calls us to serve. Jesus taught us how to serve. He showed us how to live this selfless life. Ultimately, through his death, he showed us the paradoxical way to happiness and not serving ourselves, but serving others. But who really lives that way? Well, I think all of us do in varying degrees, but today we're going to see if you're a Christian, if, this is a big, big if, You've been put in position. You have freedom to choose to serve others and not yourself. Not everyone can do that. But the book of Galatians teaches us that we've been set free. Now, this is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It, it, it really brings home this idea of, of grace and, and this new identity that we've been found in, in Christ. You know, the Galatians, like us, uh, were prone to go back to the law back to a religious kind of self-salvation project, which is religion. And, and Paul says that's where you were. You were under the law, but now you're under grace. And as a result, you've been set free. You know, Christ is the one who said, if the Son has set you free, you shall be free indeed, right? So we don't work or obey God to gain his approval. We know that. We work and serve him. We obey him because we already have it in Christ. So Paul has been teaching in the book of Galatians here, listen, you're no longer under the law. Christ came and he fulfilled the law on your behalf. He was your substitute, not just your good example. He fulfilled the law for us. Now we can live in freedom. And so Paul's going to say, well, hey, so here's the thing. And this is where we're going to launch from this position right here. The first truth I want you to see if you take notes on sermons, it's this. At the core of this message, at the heart of Galatians, at the heart of what it means to be a believer, we are freed up. We could say it this way. We're freed up. 
And the first thing I want you to see, our freedom is a gift from God. Chapter 5, verse 1, look at what it says. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, if you read that, that sounds redundant. It's for freedom that you've been set free. You say, well, of course, okay, of course I'm free, so I'm, I'm free. But what he's saying is, you've been set free, so now live in this freedom. Live in it. Like the Galatians, we're prone to go back to this kind of self-salvation, work-based kind of uh, you know, life of, of a religion. Christianity, a religion that bears the name of Christ, but we're not set free. We're not, we're not really living in the power of the Holy Spirit. We end up back in this kind of self-righteous, you know, works-based salvation. He says it's like a yoke, a yoke that's guiding you, not toward God, but away from God, falling again under the law. Many of us struggle to live in this kind of freedom. All of us do in varying degrees. It's why we've got to constantly preach the gospel to ourselves. Get back to, oh, wait, 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 no, no, no. I am loved for free. I'm completely forgiven, totally accepted by a holy God. I am forgiven. Now I just need to live forgiven. I'm not trying to measure up. I'm not going to measure others. I'm free to love others now because all the love I need, I have found in Christ. Some of you may have seen uh, the beautiful, uh, disturbing, thought-provoking film, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. Anybody seen this movie? Uh, This is probably my favorite movie of all time. And in the film, it's the story of of a single uh, guy in particular who ends up in prison. And Andy Dufresne. And he ends up in prison. And it's the incredible story of of Dufresne who becomes kind of a Christ figure in in the story. And and he ultimately overcomes imprisonment. uh, Spoiler alert. And he escapes. But uh, at the same time, he brings justice to those who are coming against him, who's holding him uh, unjustly. And, and he breaks free, and it's just an amazing story, and it's an incredible, incredible film, which really has a lot to do with grace and legalism. And those who were the Pharisees, as it were, the legalists, and he's able to kind of overcome. But there's a subplot, interesting subplot. There's several of them, but one is of an older man who who ultimately, over time, gets out of prison. He's, he's, he's older by the time he's out, and he, he struggles to live in freedom. He knows how to live in prison, but he's set free, and he cannot live as a free man, and ultimately, he takes his life. Many of us are that way. Many of us don't know how to live. Maybe being in a religious prison for many years, even as Christians, Sometimes we live still in this prison, not realizing fully who we are, that we've been set free. Many of us struggle to live in grace and forgiveness, and, and, and we want to check off a list, and, and, and we've we, we got to put others even in parameters and around them and place ourselves in a kind of religious box. I know a lot of believers who are not freed up, and we hold others to that. We become self-righteous and well, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian now. Now, you have to live like this. And if you don't, I have this judgmental spirit towards you. Too many of us are not set free. And today I want us to see how it is that 
that Christ has set us free. You might remember uh, even recently a study that we did through the, the through Moses and his life. Even the Egypt, I mean the, the 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 Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt. Remember that? They concluded it would be better to live in in slavery than to live in freedom. What is, watch this, a a spirit-led kind of life, okay, forced to live by faith in a radically new context. That's where a lot of us fall. Don't want to live by faith. Just tell me what the markers are. Tell me what I need to do. Then I can measure how well I'm doing. Puts me in the driver's seat. You see how that works, right? Puts me in the driver's seat where we want to be because then we become our own God. Essentially worshiping ourselves. And the Lord says, no, no, no. You've been set free. So you, are, you have an opportunity. You are placed in a kind of base camp, an opportunity where you can live differently. So our freedom is a gift from God. Look at this secondly. Our freedom isn't an opportunity for selfishness. Paul's going to say you have freedom, but you can use it in two ways. All right? This word opportunity is the word aphorme. In the Greek. Now, it literally means, this is where I get the idea for this sermon, the place from which a movement or attack is made in a military sense. It's a camp or position from which an action is resourced and, and, then, and then accomplished. All right? It's launching pad. It's a base camp. Look at what it says in chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, but, but, but through love serve one another. See, there's an opportunity now. We can either use our freedom for the flesh, he says, or we can use it to love and to serve others. Serve God by serving others. Our freedom is used for the flesh when we seek to please ourselves. And, and let's be honest, mass confession. This is how we live often. Many of our relationships are that way. I'll be a friend with you if if I feel like I'm getting something back for you. I'll I'll enter into this place if I feel like I'm going to receive something here. Like a law of reciprocity. Grace says, no, I'm going to make the first move without any, any need for anything in return. And that's rare indeed. In Romans 7, verse 8, Paul says, Our sinful nature seizes opportunities for sin. The flesh is this sinful nature, and we can use it as we have opportunity. You feel like we've been set free. People say, well, Jeff, you know, you go too far with grace. People are going to take license for sin. Listen, those who think they have a license towards sin because of grace, it's not that they're taking grace too far. They haven't taken it far enough because it's grace. It's God's grace that drives us to obedience, right? The more we understand what he's done for us, And because true love is chosen love, we have an opportunity in this base camp, this new position we find ourselves in Christ, totally forgiven, we have an opportunity to serve others or to serve ourselves, to obey him or not. But look at this. Our freedom is an opportunity for selflessness. We find ourselves with an opportunity. Look at chapter 5, verse 13 again, the latter part. He says, but through love serve one another. C.K. Barrett, he's a British, was a British scholar, Bible scholar. He, he, he writes this as a commentator. Listen to this. The opposite of flesh is love. Love that looks away from the self and its wishes, even its real needs, to the neighbor 
and spends its resources on his needs. Now again, in reality, you, we could ask, who really lives like that? Well, at our best, we do. In fact, we can. This is rare indeed, but it's the life that you and I have been called to live. It's why we have been saved. It's why we've been rescued, if indeed you have. And this is the pathway to joy. This is the paradoxical way to live. So watch this. We're freed up. So now I want you to see, what do we do next? We're freed up. We are in this place, this launching pad, this base camp. We're freed up. We have a new position in Christ. So look at what we do. We show up. So we show up. See, you, you and I cannot love others at a distance. You may have heard, you know, Woody Allen famously quipped, 80% of success is showing up. I, I, you know, you can argue, well, 100% of serving others is predicated upon showing up, right? Look at Galatians 5.14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, right? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself is what Jesus taught us. We must show up. Jesus showed up. He, he became incarnate is the theological term, in the flesh. He showed up in the flesh. He moved into the neighborhood. He became our neighbor. He showed up in the flesh. Listen, we're freed up, but we cannot serve others unless we show up. He didn't serve us at arm's length. You've got to be in close proximity with others. And listen, there's no way to live this life apart from the power of the Spirit. At first, you look at Galatians 5 and 6, and it looks almost like the Proverbs. It's like, well, there's one thing, and then he says this, and then there's another thing. But, but I've realized this week that all of this is unified. He's now telling us in the latter part of chapter 5, look at verse, so verse 19, he says, well, let me just show you what this looks like. The flesh looks like this. And then he, then he, he lays that out for us, and he, he has this whole list. And then he says, but you don't do these things anymore. But, he says, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit, notice it says fruit, not fruits, the fruit, the produce, the result of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. He would talk about the law of Christ, the law of love. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Notice this. There's an active construction here. We must do the crucifying. We must constantly die to ourselves. Like Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to die to yourself. Take up your cross daily. And he says here, Paul says, I crucified the flesh. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I love that. Let us not become conceited, all right, thinking too highly of oneself, provoking one another, envying one another. All right, so being angry at another based on comparison. They have what I don't have. This is how sinful we are as we find ourselves in relationships. So we, we can't do this apart from the power of the Spirit is what he teaches us. We've got to be filled with the Spirit. You and I are incapable of living this kind of life. But we've got to show up. We're freed up, so we show up. And then here's another challenge we have here. So, so we don't give up. Don't give up. 
Then he moves into what I call the law of the harvest. Look at chapter ver- uh, at 6, verses seven, 7 and eight, uh, 9. Do not be, con- be deceived. All right? God cannot be mocked. That, that is to say, he will not be ridiculed. You can't trip it, trick him. He's always right. He's going he's gonna to win in the end. As if to say there are no consequences for our action. Find ourselves at base camp. We have freedom to choose to live for ourselves or choose to live for others. But don't, don't think that you can live for others and not receive then the due penalty of your error. You'll never experience joy. He says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in well-doing or doing good, well-doing, the old King James. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Now, this is a word for a lot of us here. This is an encouraging word for me. Don't give up. Some of us here today, we're thinking about giving up. In some way, some form. We're thinking, you know, I've been at this for a while. I'm not seeing a whole lot. I'm tired. I am weary. I I am. Listen, here's what he's saying here. The law of the harvest is this. Simply put, whatever you put in the ground is what's going to come up later, right? No farmer worth his salt. He doesn't go out and he plants cotton and he says, where are my peach trees, right? Nobody goes out and plants apple seeds and expects then a watermelon to show up. And, and he's saying this too. No farmer goes out in the spring and sows seed, plants, and then comes out the next day and says, where's my crop? Where is it? No, in due season, it's going to come. And Paul is saying to us, listen, you, you, you freed up to show up, but don't give up. Don't give up. Because the, the self-focused life is miserable. Even self-destructive, he says here. But here's what happens. We give up because we get tired. He says, don't grow weary in well-doing. We we give up because we can't see the reward. He said, no, 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 in due season. And listen, for some of us, this is an act of faith. For some, due season may be off in, in eternity. You see, this is so true. And for some of us who, you, you may be in a ministry right now. And you're thinking, I, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to give up. Or I know it's kind of time, we're about to re-up next year. Or I'm going to, or wherever you find yourself. And some of you are thinking about giving up. And, and I want to challenge you to stay in the game. Listen to this. One commentator noted, he said this. In Christian ministry, one of the greatest challenges and frustrations and a principal cause for weariness and well-doing is our inability to calculate the spiritual outcome of the steady, faithful, ongoing work of the Lord. Stacy and I had the privilege, we went stopped by to see Miss Howard, Martha Howard, kind of the matron of our church, former pastor's wife. We went by her house and dropped off the lilies uh, so just bless her, and she's doing well. She can't get to church these days. We're going to actually sing happy birthday to her next week, so be here. We're going to actually do that and have it sent to her. But um, we were able to just spend some time with her. Many of you know she taught children, what, five-year-olds in the end, 
for decades upon decades she served. I would guess there are times she thought about giving up. I think about so many in our church who have been serving for so long. It's one thing to serve for a season, but for those who stay at it, stay the course, and they they grow weary in well-doing, but they don't give up. And my, what a harvest. You know, the older I get, the more I see longevity in ministry and calling on a life. And that that plays out in a lot of different ways. But first, you've got to show up. Earlier this morning, I was with uh, the Charlie Taylor class, meets over on the third floor over here, and uh, uh, last Sunday, we, we kind of culminated this, this, this relationship that had been, been built. David Pickett, member of our church, uh, who grew up in South Dallas, uh, the area's kind of changed a bit over time, but he decided he'd go back to a church, Salem Institutional Baptist Church, all black uh, community black pastor, wonderful, incredible pastor and church. And he decided some, a uh, couple years ago or so, he decided he's going to just show up. And so they're looking around going, what, who's this white, this white dude showing up? What's up with this? And he's like, I'm just here. I just want to serve. I just want to love you guys. And over time, they believed him. He, he said, I just want to help. And over time, they realized this man just wants to love and serve us. And he got involved. And what happened was, then he had me connect with the pastor there. And and, and he said, let's do this kind of gathering for the community. And why don't we go as a class, as a church, and let's go down there and and worship with them. The men in Nehemiah showed up. And we had other pastors show up. One older pastor got up and and he said, this is an historic day. He said, we have never had a white pastor or a white church come into our community ever. Don't remember when that's ever happened. And listen, friends, all this happened. And then we served hot dogs afterwards and danced. And I should say they danced. We didn't dance, but they were dancing. And uh, they were out there doing the slide or something. And, um, and I kept encouraging our people to get in there, get involved, and nobody would jump in. But, you know, it's like I say, I mean, bad, people say Baptists don't dance. And I say, no, we do not well, but we dance. We don't. We try. And so uh, they got out there. But it was it was a lot of fun. And, and my point is this: it all happened because one man showed up. One man decided to kind of move into the neighborhood, show up, incarnational presence. You can't serve people at arm's length. You got to show up. And so when we show up, we 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 we're freed up. So we show up. And we don't give up. And I want to encourage you, don't give up. Keep pressing on. We also show up because, because the time is short, he says. Look at this. I want to see. Look at verse, uh, verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Verse 10 says, So then, well, this could be therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household of faith. Now watch this. This word opportunity is not aforme. It's not the same word. This word is a word you may have heard before. It's kairos. Kairos can be translated time or opportune time. When you have an opportune time, when you have a moment in time, a dedicated, ordained moment, then go after it and serve others. Now, this is interesting here. We show up because... The time is short. There's a moment in time. Show up and serve. You know, Jesus said it. 
it, it's, it's, on our, it's on our clock, out on the, the clock tower, on our steeple. In, in, in John chapter 9, verse 4, night cometh. Night is coming when we'll no longer be able to serve, no longer have an opportunity to serve. We must serve while it is time and we're able. So we show up because time is short. We show up because the needs are many. Look at what it says. Let us do good to everyone. You think, everyone? And you can imagine as a pastor, I'm thinking, I can't serve everyone. Listen, we can. We can. Together, every person doing their part, we can serve thousands of people. That's why Jesus said, greater things will you do. I'm not going to do greater than Jesus. Together. See, Christ incarnate in the flesh, one man in one place. Now His Spirit resides in us, and we go, men and women, boys and girls, teenagers, across our lives into our Mondays and into our life to serve thousands of people. We serve because the time is short. We, 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 we show up because the needs are many. We show up because we're family. You see that? It says, especially in the household of faith. That's not to say we're a special club, so we're going to serve ourselves. No, 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 watch this. A watching world looks and says, my, how they serve each other. Look at how they love each other. We bring our our, our own part to the body, and we serve each other. I love what Peter says. 1 Peter 4, verse 10, it says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As God's stewards, or, or, or as good stewards of God's varied grace. I love that. There's other translations there. It, it's the, it, our serving is an expression of the grace of God. I love that. In its various forms. And every one of us can be a part of this. The community of faith, the church, the body of Christ is the final apologetic, is what he's saying. The body of Christ is the final defense showing the world that God is love. Because of the way we serve one another. And I'm so grateful. Friend, if you're a guest here today, you need to know that our church, though, yes, there are multiple services going on right now, and we, you know, but we are united as a body. We, we, there, there's harmony in our body. And it's because, not because we all look alike. Now, now we could be a little bit more diverse than we are. You know, we're always pushing towards that. Uh, but praise God. That it's not because we're all the same age, because we come from the same place around Dallas, we have the same color skin, even as our in Espanol service is happening even now. And on the 29th, by the way, we're all coming together. And I'm going to be casting vision forward. We're going to pack the house. But we're, we're, we're in harmony because what unites us is Christ. See, that's not uniformity. Uniformity says you've got to look like me, act like me, believe like me, think like me. Unity says, no, in our diversity, we are one in Christ. Christ is the one who unites us, is, 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 is what we're seeing here. Christ unites. In verse 10, it says, so then, or therefore, because all of this is true, serve. We're freed up, so show up. Don't give up. And finally, so we speak up. Galatians 14, look at this. Why do we do all this? Paul says, and and if we had time, we can unpack all these verses. But here's where he goes. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He gets back to that language again. This is why we serve. 
See, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, it says, that Paul says, I resolve to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. That's all we know. And that's always our message. Our message is not work hard or get better. Our message is, is Christ has already accomplished all that's needed. Believe more deeply in what he's already done. It, it, it's, not, it's not man and him improved. It's Christ and him crucified. This is the gospel. This is the message. So all of our efforts, Paul would say, all my works, all my accomplishments, nothing compared to knowing Christ. And it's from that position, that base camp, that new identity, that I then go and serve others. So we speak up because our good works have never saved anyone, not you or anybody else. Jesus said, we do good works, others see our good works, that they may glorify the Father who's in heaven. Our good works point people to Jesus, but our good works alone don't save anybody. Listen, I can say it this way. It's our confession that saves. It's the gospel that saves, not good works. And I'm telling us this because as we move towards uh, next Saturday to serve, or as we open our doors to the expo, or any time we come together to serve other people, we've got to talk about why we're doing this. And it is the love of Christ that has transformed us. Our confession is what saves. And I'm asking you to join us on mission as a church. I could say it this way. You want to change the world, become a part of this body. You want to live a life of great fulfillment and joy, come join us. Because to be a member here is to serve. And if this is challenging for you, I hope that it's inspiring for you. Let me ask you. Where are you serving? What is your ministry? Every member should be able to answer that question. Get involved in a ministry. Serve on a Sunday morning. Serve children. Serve our kids. Serve students. Serve on a Wednesday night. Serve in our mission efforts and partnerships around the city. You might say, well, I don't know, what, what, I don't know much about our partners. How can I learn more? I'm glad you asked that question. Because today you can see that you can get involved in our Serve Dallas Day, which is coming up in just a couple of, well, next Saturday, just not, not a couple of weeks, next Saturday. And we have a, an expo uh, that's happening on that day, so our seniors are serving. We have other opportunities there that, that, are, that, that they're going to be involved in, but many of you can join us. But we serve because Christ has first served us, right? Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to close with this story. It's the Chicago Tribune, true story. A parachute instructor, Michael Castillo, he's 45 years old. He took Gareth Griffith out on a tandem jump, 21-year-old. And as they were um, falling through the air, free-falling, Uh, The chute did not open. And I don't know all the details of the story, but it tells that uh, that eyewitnesses that day saw that Michael, this this, um, veteran paratrooper, did an amazing thing. As they were plummeting to earth, they say that he, he flipped over so that he would land first. Miraculously, Gareth lived broke his spine, and he wasn't, after surgery and such, was not paralyzed. Now, Michael died instantly, but Gareth was saved. 
And they say if, if you meet Gareth, you don't have to be around. I mean, imagine. You don't have to be around him long. He's going to tell you about Michael. You don't have to be around him long. He'll tell you his story. Because he is alive because Michael is dead. Michael died so that he could be saved. You don't have to be around Gareth for very long. And all he wants to do is talk about Michael. Friends, listen, you and I who've received the grace of God, we've been set free. We've been freed up. Because we're freed up, we show up. And friends, listen, let me encourage you. Because you're freed up, don't give up. Don't give up in well-doing. Continue to serve the Lord. Do whatever you can. And we're freed up, so we speak up. We talk about the one who's rescued us so that we can love others without any need for love in return because all the love we need, we have found in him. Praise be to God. That's how we live at home. It's how we live at work. It's how we live in our neighborhood. We are freed up, so we show up. We don't give up, and we speak up. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word that challenges us today, and we know that it's born out of your heart. Jesus, you showed us the way long before Paul wrote it down. He had encountered you, laying flat on his back, blinded, as you, as, you, as you penetrated his heart, and then he opened his eyes to see the world in a new way. You've set us free. You've put us in a base camp, an opportunity to use our freedom now, not for selfishness, but for selflessness. And Lord, I pray that you would capture every heart here, and my preaching would not be in vain. But your spirit would allow us now to live our lives in ways that would bless others and in so doing bring glory to you. So Lord, help us, each of us. Friend, I want to ask you right where you are before we go, before God Almighty, are you serving others? Are you serving him by loving and serving others? Are you here today and you're thinking about, man, I just want to give up. Think about giving up. Friend, don't grow weary in well-doing. What are you going to do? Live a selfless life or are you going to live a self-focused life, which leads to self-destruction? Live a life serving others. Don't give up. And then let's speak up. Let's just talk about the one who died so that we might live. Lord, thank you that you've put us in this new position. It's a new identity where we can love each other and love others for free, just as you've done for us. So wherever you lead us, Lord, that's where we'll go. We want to just proclaim a dangerous, dangerous song from our hearts. Wherever you lead, we'll go. May it be the case. For the sake of Christ and to your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen.